Well, good morning, everybody. Um, don't know if anybody shares my um, tendency to be a people pleaser. Is anyone a people pleaser here? Does anyone want to be bold enough and brave enough to share that? There's a few of us here. Brilliant. I am a people pleaser. And I love just to please people. I do. Um, and I remember one time at university, this really came apparent to me. So this is like some 20 years ago now. Um, I lived about 20 minutes from the campus where I was studying. And so this day, it was absolutely pouring with rain. So I had my, my new coat on that my mum had got me to go to university with. And I was walking for about 10 minutes. I got halfway there. And I bumped into a guy that was from Birmingham. He didn't go to school with me, but I kind of knew of him, knew he was in the city in Leeds. And he was getting absolutely drenched. And he was like shaking like this. So I stopped to talk to him. I said, oh, it's really nice to see you. I've not seen you in Leeds yet. And he was like, oh, I'm just drenched. It's been, I'm just, I've got no coat. I'm just really cold. So me, being the people pleaser, took my coat off, said, you have my coat, have it, and walk home. And then as soon as he left, he was like, yeah, thank you, that's great, brilliant. And he walked off in my coat, and then I had to walk for 10 minutes, university, getting drenched, sit through a lecture for an hour and a half, smelling, like, very damp, and then had to walk all the way home for 20 minutes whilst it was pouring with rain. And I didn't have a coat, didn't get my coat back for six months. So... We are called to give our coat to someone else, aren't we? But I have to say, my heart was to please him. Although there's something not wrong about people pleasing, there is also an unhealthiness to it, isn't there? But today, there is someone that we are to please. We see that today, that we are to please somebody. And that is that we are here to please God. We can please God. So if you're a people pleaser, you're going to love this, because we get to please God, and that is a good thing. And now sometimes we can think that's a bit of a dangerous statement, Surely we are justified by faith and by Christ alone, and that is true. We have been bought at a wonderful price. The cross of Jesus has bought us this justification, this righteousness that we've been made right with God. And surely all my works are just dirty rags to our holy God. And although that is true, of course, and that is the foundation of our faith, even as sinners, we are able to please God. Not in our sin, but even as fallen human beings, we are able to please God in how we live in the here and now. And so I'm excited about this today because we're going to break this into two bits. The first bit is we're going to look, spend some time just looking at how do we actually please God? What is underneath and behind pleasing God? How do we do that? Because I don't know about you, if we've got a creator God who loves us, I want to please him. I want to do all I can to please him. But then secondly, this passage that we've just heard read is quite a heavy passage talking about sexual immorality and lust. And so we're going to look at specifically how does Paul encourage the Thessalonians and us to live in a way that pleases God in the face of such battles? There's two things we're just going to look at today. And I've got, I'm doing prayers. I've moved to prayers rather than points. So I'm going to keep going with the prayers I've been doing every week. So, first of all, Lord, help us to live in order to please you. Just simply, Lord, help us to live in order to please you. In chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says this, As for the other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Isn't that great? The Thessalonians are living or behaving in a way that is pleasing God. Paul was with them for three or four weeks, and yet... He's been apart from them for a time and he's writing a letter and he's heard from Timothy that they're doing great and they're living and behaving in a way that honours God and is pleasing to him. I mean, brilliant. Three weeks teaching and yet they're, and they're 
living a life that pleases God, that behaves in a way that pleases God. What better thing is there to do than to learn and know how to please our maker? Well, Paul talks about pleasing God in a number of other places in the Bible. I'm just going to read a few of them because I want to make sure we know that this is a good thing to do. To want to please God is good. 1 Corinthians 7, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is unconcerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. So in singleness, there's this opportunity to focus on pleasing the Lord. Paul says that is a good thing. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. Colossians 3, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Isn't that great? I wish my children are up here to hear this. Um, but if we have parents, we are called to obey our parents. That pleases God. Colossians 1, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. God-pleasing behavior is fruit-bearing behavior. It's good outcomes. 1 Timothy 5, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family, and so repaying their parents and their grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. Paul talks about this a lot. The Bible talks about pleasing, how we please God in our behavior. But how can we do that? What is the essence behind, the heart behind how we please God in those things? Well, this is a really important verse. In Hebrews 11 that I've not put on, have I put it on here? Let's have a look. No, I haven't. But Hebrews 11, verse 6 says this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We do not have faith. We cannot Please, God. So, Lord, help us to live in order to please you through trusting you. That's what faith is, trusting him. I don't know about you, but I have a tendency of looking to my own abilities and my own sufficiency that I feel at times, thinking that I can do things in my own strength, and I do things from that place. But instead, faith is receiving from God and looking away from our own abilities and looking to God's full sufficiency and our complete insufficiency to live in a way that pleases God. Doing it in our own strength, in our own self-reliance, we cannot please God, whatever we do. What pleases God is when we put him in the place of saying, I trust you to help me being obedient to you. I trust you, God, to help me live a life that I've been, sanct- that I've been chosen for, to be holy and blameless. Paul says this in Romans 14, which I think is really interesting. Um, Romans 14 says this, Whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. So it's interesting, isn't it, that if we do something from faith, it pleases God. But the implication is that if we we can do something good and it not please God. Does that make sense? We can do something that is good on the face of it, but doesn't please God. God, because it's not done in faith. It's done in a self-reliant way. Well, let's dig in a little bit deeper into this, and we'll see it in, Th- in Thessalonians today. We, how did Paul know the Thessalonians' faith was pleasing God? How did he know their motives were pure? How did he know that their works were done from a place 
of trusting God and um, rather than self-reliance. And we have to go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3 that I preached on a number of weeks ago now. So if you have a look at that with me, it's on the, this is on the screen as well. It says, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith that is pleasing to God is when our works for God are done by faith, produced by faith. When we labor in love for other people, when our faith leads us to trust in the hope that Jesus Christ is returning, and so no matter how hard it gets now, we have faith in the promises of God and we produce our works in that place. So let me just unpack that a little bit more. It is to walk in faith, to behave in faith, to produce all our good works that are inspired by our faith. That is what pleases God. Even though our behavior is not perfect, the blood of Jesus Christ covers our imperfections, guys. But faith looks away to God and gets strength from the Holy Spirit and does the things that God delights in. I want to do the things that God delights in, in a way that God delights in them, not in a way that I'm self-reliant. Just this week, as an example, I was feeling pretty anxious about today because my sermon day on Tuesday that I'd set aside for it was disappeared. We had a, a bit of an issue downstairs, and so um, I was feeling a little bit apprehensive, thinking, when am I going to prepare the sermon? My day has gone to do this. Well, Unbeknownst to Nikki, she'd sent me a short podcast to listen to of John Piper preaching, and actually he was preaching on um, faith in action, putting, off our tr- putting genuine faith into action. And so Piper was, is in 1988, this sermon was from, and he was saying that he'd been away all week at a conference, and it came to Saturday night, and he was due to preach the next day, and he hadn't started his sermon yet. And he was saying, do you know what, he could have spent the whole night preparing his sermon and delivered a good sermon. But he said he chose instead to turn to the Bible and to look for a promise that God has made in there that will help him do this from a place that is from active faith, trusting in God, not from his self-reliance. And so he found 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that I've shared with you many times. It's the verse that has been on my heart since I came into um, pastoring this church. And it says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. It's one of those moments where you're like, oh, that is brilliant, but also like, I'm going to live this out now. Am I going to choose to live this out? Am I going to turn to the word and say, can you help me, God? Because I don't know when I'm going to do this. I don't know when I'm going to get this done. I don't have the resources to do this in my own strength. I don't think I have. I'm going to turn to your abilities to help sustain me in this. But maybe it's even coming here on a Sunday. Maybe you're on a service team or something. Maybe there's tiredness. Maybe there's grumpiness. Maybe there's at times a little bit of begrudgingness. And we can still serve with a smile on your face, but it not be honoring to God in a way that our heart is just not in it. Now, that doesn't mean sometimes we're tired and we, you know, we, we, we struggle with, doing, with serving. But if we want it to be a thing that pleases God, an offering to him, a holy and acceptable offering to him, why don't we turn to a promise that we have in Scripture? Say, Lord, I'm not feeling in a great place today, 
I will do this in my own strength, but I'd rather do it in a place of faith and trusting you and that my works come from that place rather than my own strength. I found Hebrews 6, it says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you helped his people and continue to help them. There is a promise for absolutely any and every situation. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're doing in your own strength, maybe. But if we want to make our offerings to be obedient to the Lord in a a way that is um, pleasing to God, we have an opportunity to say, Lord, I, 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 I can't do this in my own strength. I need you, and I want to turn to your word, and I want to find a promise that I can um, hold on to to help me do this in a way that's honouring and pleasing to you, even though I want to do this in my own strength. Works done from a place of faith are what please God. What a great place to be. I just want to encourage us this week to seek to live a life that our offering to him is a pleasing offering to him, that in our obedience is a way, it's not in self-reliance, not done in our own strength, not a tick list, I've read the Bible, I've prayed, I've done this, but in a way that is pleasing to God from a place of faith. I trust you, Lord, in this situation. Help me in this situation. Help me be obedient to you and choose the right path. And as we see now in verse 3, Paul gets very specific. He's talking about an issue that, beset many of the churches he wrote to, and he wanted to make sure that the Thessalonians in a city that was very depraved, that they would avoid, as he says in verse 3, they would avoid sexual immorality. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That means grow in holiness, become more like Jesus, that you should avoid sexual immorality. The word sexual immorality here is the word, word pornea. And it means to sell off sexual purity outside of biblical marriage. That's what sexual sexual immorality is. Selling off sexual purity outside of biblical marriage. So the Bible talks a lot about sex because sex is a good thing and sexual desire is a good thing and it is a gift from God. It is a gift from God. Within And it's to be carried out within the picture of marriage, in the covenant relationship of marriage between a man and a man and a woman. And so Paul here in verses 4 and 5 gives um, a do and a don't in relation to sexual um, immorality. He says, each of you should learn to control your own body. Controlling your own body in a way that is holy and honourable. And then he contrasts that with the pagans that live in passionate lusts who don't know God. So there's one way we can please God with sexual desire, which is controlling our bodies in a way that is holy and honourable. In contrast to doing it in a way that is not holy and honourable, in a way that is a passion of lust, like the pagans. So I found this helpful when I was preparing. It's it's from Piper as well. It says, lust is a sexual desire that dishonours the object and disregards God. Lust is a sexual desire that dishonours its object and disregards God. Sexual desire is good, but it turns to lust when it dishonours an object and disregards God. So, here we go. Lust dishonours the object. In verse 6, Paul says, And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister, because... What he's talking about here is this, a man takes another man's wife or a woman takes another man's 
husband, another lady's husband, um, it is not honoring. It is taking advantage of. Marriage is between a man and a woman. It makes a lifelong uh, covenant to honor each other with faithfulness and love. And sexual desire is to be expressed within that covenant bond of mutual honor. And so to say to someone, I want you to satisfy my sexual desire, but I don't want you as my covenant partner, is basically saying, I want to use your body for my pleasure, but as a whole person, I don't want you. That's what it's basically saying. And that is dishonoring to that person, and therefore lustful. And so lust is sexual desire minus a commitment to want to honor the other person. Whether that is within a non-marriage relationship, or whether that is looking at a screen, it dishonors the object. But also, Paul's clear here, it dishon- it, it's a total disregard for God in verse 5. He says, not in the passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Paul's clear here, lust that dishonors, lust that dishonors, is for those who don't know God. But knowing God, and our lives acting like we know God, keeps sexual desire from becoming lust. What he says in verse 8, it's on the next screen. Do you mind clicking for me? It's getting a little bit funny on here. Back one. Oh, no, that's it. Great. Verse 8. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Because the root cause of lust is a lack of regard for God. Basically, I don't care what God says about sexual desire. It doesn't matter. It's a lack of regard for God. And so... Lord, help us to live in a way that pleases you through seeing the danger of lust. Do we even see the danger that it appeals in our life, that it brings to our life? What is wonderful is that our sex life is important to God. He cares because he knows that it has the greatest consequences when it's not done in the way that he ordains it. Whether it's someone taking another man's wife or vice versa, Think about the problems that it causes in relationships and family breakdown, the impact on children for generations. Or maybe it's the thing that we think is harmless, looking at an image on the screen of somebody, but that dishonors that object too. I was reading some quotes that said that four, over four million men, women, men and women are forced into the sex industry against their will. And it says that anyone that watches and views these things is actually giving source to this business. Ray Ortland's written a, a, uh, an excellent book called The Death of Porn. He's an American retired pastor. And he talks about asking men to see the dangers of pornography, and women as well, but particularly men, and to call Christian men to fight the injustice of, enslaved, of this enslaving industry, and instead to build a better world, a world of nobility. We are, men and women are created by God. They are loved by God. And anyone that is viewing or looking at these things is actually, he talks about adding to incentivizing human trafficking. Don't give it business. He says, let's shut it down. Let's shut that business down, that whole business down. Remember that thinks of Ephesus and what happened in Ephesus when they turned away from their idols. Silversmiths that was the biggest business in that city went out of business because people turned away from those idols to the one true living God. Wouldn't it be wonderful if Christians across the world were the first and foremost that stood up to this 
and built a world of nobility. But we see also, it's quite stark here in 6b. I know this is quite heavy stuff for a Sunday morning. I do appreciate that, but we want to make sure we're faithful to what the Word says. It says, there is danger to everybody involved. It says, the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. See, God will act against lust, sexual desire that is in the wrong place. There are consequences. And so that begs the question, what's all this got to do with pleasing God? How do we please God if someone is, can we please God if someone's struggling in sexual sin? Is that possible? Well, the answer to that is yes, but, yes, but. You see, he is calling people, Christians, to fight against lust. Their faith to be a faith-fighting lust, if that makes sense. Or a lust-fighting faith might be a better way of doing it. The alliteration was too hard otherwise. Lord, help us to live in a way that pleases you through a lust-fighting faith. Guys, we've been saved by faith, but the Bible is clear that those who persevere are the ones that will be in eternity. And so a faith that lies down and says, I'm not even going to fight it, I'm not even in that battle, is not a persevering faith and won't see us through to salvation. But the battle for obedience is necessary for salvation. The battle for obedience is necessary for salvation. And how do we know that happens? Who helps us with that? The Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that was with you when you were saved is the same Holy Spirit that is in you now and that is in the battle with you. Can you really free me from this? These questions I've heard before. Maybe it's something that Sexual sin is something that has been robbing you of joy for many, many years. Maybe in your relationships you've seen it. Maybe you've tried everything. I've read the Bible. I've had counselling. I've had accountability. All those things are great things. But the very fact that someone is looking for those things is a fighting faith because they want help. If those works are not done in self-reliance, thinking I can do these things in my own strength. The faith that saves you is the same faith that will help you fight it. Maybe you're tempted just to give in because the battle is just too hard. I want to encourage you. The power of the Holy Spirit is in you. He is able to save you from this. And just an example of this was a few years ago, myself and Nikki went uh, on holiday to Norfolk, and we, we had the privilege of going to visit a small church there. And in Norfolk, it's, well, the area we were in was, I think if you were under 70, you were rare. And so this church was 30 people of 70, 80-year-olds, and it was it was just a wonderful time. But the preacher was a younger guy um, uh, at my age. Um, had a wife and a young child. And he was preaching as part of his sermon. He, he gave his testimony. And he shared that from the age of being a teenager up until his early 30s, he struggled with battling pornography addiction. It got him to a really dark place, a really dark place. Then he received faith in Jesus and he thought he'd be free of it. And yet... He battled and battled with it for several more years until he said that it, the battle stopped. He had victory over it. The Holy Spirit had given him freedom over it after years and years of battling it through his faith. He doubted whether he would ever have freedom from it, saying, I don't know if I'm ever going to get free from this, and yet the Lord freed him from it, a battling faith. 
just to finish with. What is the best way to battle this? There are many things that you can read in Christian books, and they're wonderful books, and things that should be done. Lord says, Jesus says, if you're in sin, cut it off. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, doesn't he? If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. And so there's some really great things about um, accountability, about um, um, putting safeguards in place for yourself, and all those things. But I think the greatest thing and the most important thing to do is to have a better vision for who God is, and what he's saved you for. Knowing who you are now in Christ. And so, Lord, help us to live in a way that pleases you by being captured by a better vision, by being captured by a better vision. See, obedience is the faith that leads to salvation. And so we have to fight it with a better vision of who God is a vision of his holiness. Look what, he's, look what he says in verse 7. Paul says this, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. He has called you to a better life, a better life than you could ever imagine, a life that is holy. That means to be set apart, to be pure, to be blameless. Ultimately, we know in this, in this life we struggle and we battle with sin, but ultimately we will one day be made fully holy when we go to be with him. But in the here and now, calls us to be holy, for he is holy. I often think it's really hard to imagine God's holiness. If we just close our eyes and think, God's holiness, what do we picture? White, a train of like a, someone's, uh, I always think about, what's it, oh, what's her name? Prince William's wife. Katie, yeah, sorry. Their wedding and the train of her dress that went on for literally miles and miles and miles. The Bible talks about that, that God's holiness is like that white train, train of holiness that fills and engulfs the room. It's hard to imagine God's holiness, isn't it? It's hard to have that picture of it. But the Bible tells us, blessed is the pure in heart that they will see God. As we see God, as we look to his holiness, we look to his set apartness, as we look to think, I want to live for your glory, I want to please you, God, nothing else will satisfy. Not lust, not money, not anything else. As we choose to know God better, with the help of his Holy Spirit, as we know him more, it's a knowledge that satisfies us. We look to other things because stuff doesn't satisfy but when we look to God, we really pursue him. As we pursue living in holiness with the help of the Holy Spirit, we get a satisfying knowledge of who God is. And then when those thoughts or when those temptations come, we fight against it. Our faith helps us fight it. When the temptation comes to take that second look at someone down the street or another man's wife or to look at that screen image, Our fighting faith recognises that it's under attack in that moment. And we say, Lord, I've been called for something far better than this. I'm set apart. When we see, uh, when we're drawn to somebody that isn't our partner, it's remembering that person is noble. It's remembering that person on the screen is noble. It's remembering that they have been made by God in his image and that, they, and that he loves them. 
We pray for that person. The faith that if it loses the first battle, the second battle, the third one, it knows the ultimate victory has been won and it keeps fighting with the help of the Holy Spirit and it doesn't lie down. It knows, it's a faith that knows it's in a battle and it knows that it ultimately will win. Father God, I pray for us as we've dealt with some heavy topics today, Lord, thank you that faith is a gift. Thank you that it is you that grows our faith. Thank you that it is um, that we are able to use our faith to please you through doing works that come from that faith, Lord. Thank you that we, um, that, that we don't need to be self-reliant. We don't want to do things in our own strength, Lord. We don't want to even do things that look good in our own strength, Lord. We want to do things that are um, from a faith that works. And Lord, for anyone here today that is struggling with lust, Lord, we pray for them. We pray that they would know that there is grace that covers everything, Lord, and we pray that you would be with them in the battle, that they would um, just longingly look to you, be captured by a better vision, captured by just the beauty of your holiness, that our lives would be an offering to you, that we are to, be, to please you. And Lord, that we can do that. Father, I pray that even in our conversations afterwards, Lord, that they would be honouring and pleasing to you. Lord, that they would build one another up. Lord, I pray that we would uh, be a people that um, seek to honour you in all the things that we do. And Lord, as we um, finish our time, Lord, through sung worship, Lord, I pray um, that we remember that there is grace that covers everything. Pray that anyone here that is struggling, Lord, that they would come and see someone that bring that sin into light and let them receive the forgiveness that you delight in giving. Let them know that they're not alone in the battle. We saw a few weeks ago, Christ, you are lower still. You're in us. You are with us in our lowest point. You never leave us. Pray that we would know that now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.